0: The following is a presentation of Broadway Church in Vancouver, British Columbia. For additional media, visit broadwaychurch.com. Welcome to uh, the adult Bible class in the middle of July. Now, you know what our topic has been, right? We've been looking at 1 John and one of 1 John's, you know, big themes is the one we're going to talk about again today. Anybody remember what John's big theme is? His big theme? Love, right? And I just thought, you know, I needed to do something to help you get it, right? So, so, I, so, I, so I told the custodians, set up 10 less tables so people have to sit with one another and love one another. <laughs> okay. So I thought I would sooner have, you know, 12 p- uh, tables full of people loving each other than 22, you know, with people isolated, spread out all over the room. So there you go. And... Uh, and uh, I'm liking what I'm seeing. This is working out really, really well. So um, we're going to uh, take a look at the last part of 1 John chapter 4 today. And then um, next week uh, is going to be Communion Sunday. Now, it is the fourth Sunday, which is where we have normal communion, but it's the fourth Sunday and a five-Sunday month, all right? So we will have communion in in this time slot next Sunday. And then the following Sunday, the long weekend in August, we're going to do our kind of fellowship pancake luncheon. And we always kind of meet new people every time we do that. People looking around for churches to attend in the fall. And so come meet somebody new. And then uh, we'll pick up uh, 1 John chapter 5, the very uh, first Sunday of um, August. So uh, things are pressing along. We are making some progress and uh, good to have you here today. So uh, before we kind of get started, um, there's a Presbyterian pastor by the name of Frederick Beekner, And uh, I really appreciate kind of the insight that he offers from time to time. This is from a book of readings for the entire year called um, Beyond Words. But this is a section that he writes on love. And so I have a couple of quotes that I want to read you, but I want you to kind of listen to this. Uh, it'll kind of help us sort of really get a hold of what John is trying to do in this part of chapter 4. So beekner writes this. Now think about this for a moment. Of all powers, love is the most powerful and the most powerless. Of all powers, love is the most powerful and the most powerless. It is the most powerful... <laughs> because it alone can conquer that final and most impregnable stronghold that is the human heart. It is the most powerless because it can do nothing except by consent. In the Christian sense, love is not primarily an emotion but an act of the will. When Jesus tells us to love our neighbors, he is not telling us to love them in the sense of responding to them with a cozy emotional feeling you can as easily produce a cozy emotional feeling on demand as you can a yawn or a sneeze. On the contrary, he is telling us to love our neighbors in the sense of being willing to work for their well-being even if it means sacrificing our own well-being to that end, even if it means sometimes just leaving them alone. Thus, in Jesus' terms, we can love our neighbors without necessarily liking them. In fact, liking may actually stand in the way of loving them by making us overprotective sentimentalists instead of reasonably honest friends. When Jesus talked to the Pharisees, he didn't say, there, there, everything's going to be all right. He said, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? And he said that to them because he loved them. This doesn't mean that liking may not be a part of loving, only that it doesn't have to be. Sometimes liking follows on the heels of loving. It's hard to work for people's well-being very long without coming into the end to rather like them too. And it kind of reminds me of that saying that it's much more easy to act your way into feeling than it is to feel your way into acting. There is something absolutely amazing about the love of God. As a matter of fact, what John is going to say in the last part of chapter 4 is if you don't get God, you just don't get love. Doesn't mean that you don't have strong emotions. Doesn't mean that you can't do some heroically sacrificial thing from time to time. uh, Doesn't mean that, you know, you can have a storybook relationship by this world's terms. But he's saying basically if God wasn't in the picture, love wouldn't be in the picture. Because God is where love begins. God is the personification of love. We don't get love if we don't get God. And when we get God, we get love thrown in because it's a part of who he is. And when we are in relationship with him, that love that drives the universe begins to transform our lives and through each one of us begins to transform the world around us. So as we've been kind of looking through 1 John in this pastoral letter, um, there's been three tests that he keeps bringing up. How many people here have a favorite song? You know your favorite song because you sing it in the car. You sing it in the shower. When you're gardening, you're singing it. Have you ever had one of those songs that you're singing and you're thinking, how come I know all the words to this song? Like, where in the world did I? I don't have the album. Somehow or another, songs are like that. And if you will notice, songs usually have what? What makes a song a song? It's got rhythm. It's got, it's got feelings usually attached. It's got lyrics. It's got choruses, it's got verses, it's got bridges. Good content. Good content. hopefully, but usually emotive content. The best songs kind of engage us somehow at the heart level. That's why we remember them. That's why they stick with us. But when you think about a song, a song is not like an encyclopedia. I don't know about you. You can read everything about arachnids in the encyclopedia. I don't find myself moved by that you know, and yet, you know, how many of us know all the words to itsy bitsy spider (laughs) when up the water spout? I mean, you know, okay? So there's a big difference between information that is encyclopedic and and information that grabs us at the heart, the emotional, the imaginative level. And so um, John, in this letter, writes this more like a song or a poem than he does an encyclopedic Um, discussion about love he kind of as I've said earlier he sort of is like flying us around on a tour around the island and uh, on every pass we find ourselves looking at what we've seen before but every time he adds a few more details and so now we're kind of moving into course number three on the subject of love we've already been here a couple of times already as you recall but uh, this is probably the high point of the tour what you find in First um, uh, John 4, verses 7 to 11. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll kind of dive in to our subject. Our God and Father, we thank you for your goodness to us today. And Lord, um, Thanksgiving is such an important part of walking with you. And Lord, we know that every good and perfect gift comes down from you, the Father of lights, and we just give you thanks for life and breath and just the opportunity to worship you and to bless others. And so, Lord, be with us again today, and this subject that is so fundamentally what you're all about, Lord, I just pray that you would help it to become increasingly characteristic of our lives as we relate to you and to others. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so here's an agree-disagree statement for you, okay? Agree-disagree. And you can kind of throw this around your table for just a few moments. We won't stop on this a long, to- a long time. So think about this. Do you agree or disagree? And then give everybody around your cha- a table a chance to kind of jump in. And by the way, if there's anybody new whose name you don't know, make sure you get their name as well. So here's the statement. Okay, you listening? Agree or disagree? Because of our sinful fallen nature, we have lost the ability to define much less practice love as we were created to do. Okay? Think about it. I'm going to say it one more time. Because of our sinful fallen nature, we have lost the ability to define much less practice love the way we were created to do. Now... Agree or disagree and share your response with the people around your table will take just about three or four minutes, not anything more than that. Uh, Do you agree or agree with that? Because of our fallen sinful nature, we've lost the ability to define much less practice love as we are created to do. We'll take another minute or so. Okay, let me grab your attention. Thank you for jumping in and engaging the question. Just for fun, straw poll, how many people felt they could agree with that statement? How many people found themselves disagreeing with that statement? And that's fine, by the way. That's totally acceptable. No one's getting any marks for this. I just wanted you to dive into the subject. A few years ago, uh, there was a book written by John Fletcher called Situation Ethics. Ever, anybody ever read that? Situation Ethics? Okay. What Fletcher argued in Situation Ethics is he says it really um, is inappropriate to impose upon any situation a a particular set of of rules or regulations, right or wrong. Um, There isn't any sort of supreme value necessarily by which you can measure these things. He says every situation is unique and every situation is, is different. And so Fletcher was asked, well. In view of the fact, if there is no benchmark, how do you know what's ethical? And this is what he said. What's ethical is the most loving thing in the moment. Well, the question, of course, that begs to be asked is, what is love and what is loving at any particular situation? Uh, Is it loving not to discipline your children? Certainly, they feel a lot more comfortable. But is that the loving thing to do? You know, So when you start to look at all these various situations, if love is our only overriding ethic, and uh, John actually may have some measure of agreement with John Fletcher if we can establish this love issue. Uh, if love is the standard, what in the world is love? And that's what John is so passionate about us trying to get a hold of. It's interesting that in these next 15 verses, the word love, or some form of it, occurs 27 times. You get the emotion that he's trying to get a point across, just maybe? It seems to be the very heart of this whole letter of 1 John. Uh, This is what he most wants to say. This is kind of the take home. If if John was to say, listen, if you forget everything that I wrote in this letter, don't forget John John. Uh, 1 John 4, um, 7 to 21. N.T. Wright said this. He said, Christian faith grows directly out of and must directly express the belief that in Jesus the Messiah, the one true God has revealed himself to be love incarnate. It is God's love that has prompted this rescue mission that culminated in the cross. Love incarnate must be the badge that the Christian community wears as a result, A sign not only of who they are, but who God is. Now, this is a concept I really want you to get your head around this morning. We are created in the image of God. All of us, whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, all men everywhere, all women everywhere are created in the image of God. And that's why because of God's fingerprints on their lives, every human life is valuable and everyone should be treated with respect. okay? But beyond that, the Bible tells us that when you become a follower of Jesus, when you enter into that relationship with God through Jesus Christ, something fundamentally changes. Your DNA changes. You become a new creation. Okay? You are being conformed over time ever more into likeness of the fullness of the measure of the stature of Jesus. This is something that if the Holy Spirit has his way, you are going to look like Jesus eventually. Now, the problem is we sometimes, you know, arm wrestle with the Spirit on certain issues. And so sometimes the work that the Holy Spirit does doesn't move you know, ahead as quickly at some seasons in our life as others. But that's why the Holy Spirit has been given you. That's why he dwells within you. He wants to create Christ through you. He wants you to become a little Christ. He wants to image God through you. So think about this. This is very much a biblical principle. When God made, uh, wanted to make himself known, make himself comprehensible... He sent Jesus Christ, right? Jesus said, If you have seen me, you've seen the Father. People say, Kind of explain to us what God is all about. And they said, Well, just open your eyes. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus now has returned to the Father, and guess what? We now are the mirror in which God is seen. Do you follow? This is really crucial. Has God revealed himself to the world in Jesus as he walked upon this earth? God now makes himself known in the world through you and through me. And to that extent, we image God. And never do we image God more powerfully than we love the way John is going to define love. The cross portrays the power of love that has changed the world and could change it still if only the followers of Christ would get on board with it. Um, and so, Jesus has revealed God and made Him known. We look at Jesus to see what God is like and what that love looks like. And now that Jesus has returned to the Father, a world is wondering: Well, how in the world do we know what it means to, you know, what God is like and how we can relate to Him? We now become Christ's ambassador, who we now represent Him. Okay, and that's why John is so really um, adamant. And so. Um, Eager to get this across, folks. The world will know we are following the real living God if we love one another. That's how the world's going to know that this is for real. Okay, So, um, so it's important to kind of get that in mind because as he kind of moves through his, his um, letter, he keeps returning to this concept. This is how you know that Jesus has really got a hold of you and you've really got a hold of Jesus because you become a more and more loving person, that, you know, have you heard that um, uh, statement, like father, like son? Yeah, exactly. If you are son or daughter of God, like father, like son, like father, like daughter, increasingly you bear his image and love the way he loves. So let's kind of dive into the text itself, okay? Um, In this first part, Um, He uses the term dear friends or beloved. It's in the ESV. I think it's dear friends in the NIV. He starts off by saying, beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. You see where he's going with this. In this the love of God was made manifest among us. Okay, made manifest simply means made made visible, clear, you know. Um, By this the love of God was made manifest or made clear among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Okay? In this is love. Underline this. Not that we have loved God, first, I'm adding that, but that he has loved us first and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Well, folks, there is just an awful lot that is caught up in that uh, few verses. There are so many things um, that, uh, that are said about the love of God and what God is doing here in the world through Christ. What are some of the things you notice? Just surface reading. Things that jump out at you. Okay. Love is sourced in God. God is the wellspring from which love emanates. If there was no God in the universe, there'd be no love in the universe. He is the source of love. And so whatever love we see is is somehow or another derivative of the love that God has already shown in creating the world and creating people and pulling us together in community. Um, what else do you notice from these first few verses? So God is the source. Okay, so, but, but interesting. So he, this is, he wants our, our well-being, right? Our highest good. His highest good for you and for me is that we might live through Jesus Christ. But what's also bound up in that verse? Yeah, exactly. Right. That's true. If the Holy Spirit is there, then the seeds of love are there, absolutely. But what else? Okay. Now, what's what's implicit in this passage? What lies behind this? Right. Yeah, and but I'm I'm you know we're trying to sort of flesh out. What does that mean? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay, so there is some reference to our future status. We're talking about the here and now. We're talking about the everyday of business of living between now and the time that God takes us home. How is the love of God made manifest? By By sending His Son. Okay, so keep in mind, he sacrifices, in a sense, his well being for the sake of our well being. Okay? It's important to get a hold of that because that is, as the Bible describes, the penultimate concept of love. That while we were still sinners, and by meaning we were sinners, what does that mean in terms of our relationship with God? No relationship. Disobedient, lost, hostile, condemned, angry, okay? Now, I just, okay, let's just stop here for a second. How many people say, those are the people I love to love the best? I love the angry people. I love the disobedient people. I just, I just warm up to those people. My, I, ha- my, I reach out to those people, you know? People who are hostile, love those people. Love them. Um, You know. Okay. That's why this is such a profound statement. Paul says in Romans, while we were still sinners. So basically we were leaning away from God. We were running away from him. We did not have a relationship with him. Before we ever were looking God's way, God was looking our way. Because love does that. And so John picks up on that right here. He says, this is how the love of God is made clear. God sent his only son in the world for our well-being that we might have life. He sacrificed that we might benefit. Okay, It's really important to kind of get that concept in mind. Because without that notion of, of love, um, all we're left with then is counterfeit standards of love and of course the world majors on counterfeit standards of love doesn't it love shows up in all kinds of different ways shapes and forms. john fletcher and his friends you know whatever is loving in the moment i mean you define it whatever's loving for you what's loving for you may not be loving for me but whatever is loving in the moment makes it a very slippery concept and we find that love is a very slippery concept in our culture. We see it in music. We see it in film. We see it on TV. We sometimes see it in our relationships. You know, love is elusive. So let me just kind of fill in the blanks because somebody came in this morning, the very first thing they said, Pastor Mick, whatever you do, it's great. we love to have you here, but would you just fill in the blanks? That's all we ask. just fill in the blanks. <laughs> I sometimes think of them as the blankety-blank blanks, but anyway. (laughs) People who know God are tapped into the source of love. Uh, Walter already caught that one. That's in verse 7, okay? So this is where love begins. This is where love has entered into this created world. It's entered in through the person of God and his initiative, okay? Number two, people who love demonstrate that they actually know this loving God. That's one of the things John is really trying to get a hold of. People who demonstrate love show that they really know this God of love. It is evidence that they have a relationship with him. He says when people don't love, they show that they do not have this relationship. They may have adherence to all of the world's counterfeit concepts of love, But if they do not love the way John has defined it, the way God has defined love, by sending his son to pay the price for our sin, laying his life down so that we might benefit, he said, if people do not love in that way, then it suggests that somehow or another the Holy Spirit isn't in them animating and generating this kind of love. Now, John is pretty in your face throughout this whole letter. That's why he gives this test, you know, if you accept that Jesus Christ is the Son of God come in the flesh, then if you can make that profession, then you know Jesus. If you deny that Jesus is who he said he was, then regardless of what your religious profession is, you're really denying the center of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He said, if you obey God's commands, you show, you evidence, you show evidence that you've really moved from death into life, that you have a relationship with God. If you're disobedient to God's commands, it says something very seriously is wrong about that connection. And again, with love. If we love one another, we love our friends, we love our enemies, we love God, we show that, yes, this is a living connection. The Holy Spirit is alive in us. He's creating Jesus Christ in us. But when we don't love, we show that there's something very seriously wrong with that connection. And that's what John wants us to understand it. And unfortunately, he doesn't really give us a sliding scale, does he? (laughs) He says, if you love, proof positive that you know Jesus. If you don't love, proof positive that there's something wrong and that you don't know Jesus. You may know about him, but you don't really know him. Now, the reason why I say this is we don't like things kind of put quite that starkly. We like a little wiggle room, right? You know, we like there to be a little space. And even though we're all in process in learning to be lovers the way God is a lover, John is saying there's really no negotiation on the fact that this is what God is all about and if we are about God this is going to be what we're all about. It's a part of bearing the family resemblance. And then number three, Jesus demonstrated love at its best or love at its highest when he on the cross sacrificed his life so that we might have life. He died so that we might have life. And the Bible says no greater love has any man than this. That he lays down his life for a brother or a sister. It just occurred to me we have the benefit of the New Testament, John's writing others. In the Old Testament, it may not have been quite so obvious how the love of God is expressed, except perhaps God was an interactive God and kept coming back and showing that he cares for his people. Yeah. So, that's an interesting statement, and it's interesting to me. Just let's think this through for a second. Okay, so on this side of the New Testament, because we have the cross in view, this whole argument makes a whole lot more sense to us, right? It's way more compelling because we've actually got that symbol that reminds us this is what love is all about. But what about for the people of Israel who did not have the cross in view? What did they have in view? Not the cross. they had the 10 commandments they had a code they had the brazen serpent which was a sign of god's love in an interesting kind of way they had a history now think about this just follow with me on the reasoning okay we have the cross they had the altar we have the cross they had the altar and what happens in the altar Sacrifices for sin are made. The problem with the altar is what? It never solves the problem. Yeah. You have to keep doing this again and again and again. So think about this. So God says to the people of Israel, He says, listen, we have this relationship going on. I'll call it a covenant, a covenant relationship. And it's a covenant of love. And it's interesting that God. Defines himself as the God of love. That's how he wants to be known. I am that I am. You know, long, suffering and patient. You know, you know, willing to forgive and you know, so on and so forth. That's how he describes himself, right? And so he says to Israel, he says, "Here's how this works. If you obey my commands, then we can have a relationship." And through obedience, you love me, and I've already promised to love you. In fact, the fact that I've made it possible is already evidence that I've loved you. Okay. Now, if you don't keep those commands, that means you're not interested in a relationship with me, and that moves in an entirely different direction. So there is a sense in which the Old Testament actually lays the groundwork for the cross. The altar lays the groundwork for the cross. The keeping of God's commandments in the Old Testament sets the stage for the keeping of Jesus' commandments in the New Testament. The big difference is, the big difference is, in the Old Testament, they did not have the Holy Spirit living within them. And that's why Ezekiel, and that's why Jeremiah prophesy that in the days to come, I'm going to take out your heart of stone, which prevents you from being in relationship with me, and I'm going to replace it with a heart of flesh. Ezekiel says, I'm going to put my spirit in you. Jeremiah says, I'm going to put my spirit in you. I don't know if Ezekiel and Jeremiah totally understood Acts chapter 2 or what that would look like. But they were prompted by the Holy Spirit to cast ahead cast and say, this is going to be what it's going to be like eventually. Uh, I'm going to write my laws not on tablets of stone anymore, but on the tablets of Human hearts, human hearts, okay. So there is a sense, Walter, in which the Old Testament, though the cross, of course, is such a powerful image, the concept of the love of God and loving him back isn't absent, uh, and some echoes of it carry over into the New Testament. And then uh, he comes back to the next statement. He says, dear friends or beloved, if God so loved us, so we ought to love one another. That's the application. So God is the source. This is why it makes a difference. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And that's kind of my my, uh, big argument here from John, that no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God is seen. Okay? No one has ever seen God, but when we love one another, he's being seen. That's how he's chosen to make himself known in our time and our day. And so receiving God's love actually releases that love through us to others. It catalyzes that love. The true nature of love is unselfish and sacrificial, and God's love for us is meant to issue forth in our love one for another. So, how does that all work? Okay, I mean, that's great. We can get our head around the fact, okay, God is the source of love. Yeah, we get that. We all agree with that. We realize that the cross is the most dramatic example of that love expressed in terms that we can understand, Uh, the unjust laying down his life for those who were not just, Uh, Jesus undergoing death so that we might have life, him bearing the penalty that we should have borne, but he bore it on our behalf, the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We, We see that and we get it. But the question is, how many people know that trying to love each other in this world is just hard? Any honest people here? Sometimes it's just hard, okay? Sometimes it's hard to love your neighbor with a barking dog. You know what I mean? It's just hard. Sometimes it's it's hard to love your supervisor who has just promoted your buddy ahead of you. Just really hard. Just really hard. Sometimes it's really hard to love your kid when they've got their arms crossed and said, I ain't doing it. Okay, now we're kind of getting closer. Sometimes it's hard to love when we look at our spouse and they say, I think you're out of your living mind. We're not doing that. (laughs) There are all kinds of things that happen in the course of life that make us realize that, wow, we get the concept of love. It is loving that's the issue. That's the challenge, to actually put feet on this love so that God is seen in and through us. Can you help me there? Can you help me get a handle on how does this actually work? Well, John helps us out. And so I'm going to read this next passage, and then I'll just highlight a couple of things that John reminds us of that are true that actually enables us to follow through. Uh, Verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us of his Holy Spirit. That's really important. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Now, he's kind of going back to one of his other tests, the doctrinal test. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Do you get this, you know, sort of symbiotic connection that John is trying to um, create? If you are connected with God, this love thing just oozes out. It just permeates. It just It's going to get out. It's going to transform you, and it's going to transform others through you. Uh, if you are walking, if you're abiding, remaining. John loves that word. You know, if you're in a relationship with God, if you're abiding with him, if you're remaining with him, if you're dwelling in the same place, place with God, then his love, you can't help it. It just begins to impact and transform you. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in the world. You know, just kind of a throw in line, but so important to our discussion. As he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. And so this is the commandment that we have from him. Whoever loves God must love his brother. So how does this work? What can we count on? What is going to actually make it possible for us to image God in this way? How are we going to love one another in such a way that the whole world is going to know that God is alive and that we are connected to him as his sons and daughters? How is this actually going to come down? Well, number one, we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. That is really critical. The Holy Spirit's presence in our lives assures us that we're connected with God and makes it possible for this love to work its way in us and through us. And this reciprocal relationship of staying in touch with God, uh, knowing Jesus Christ, it's it's the expression of this fellowship. And when the Holy Spirit is allowed to have his way in us, we demonstrate proof positive that we know God and are in relationship with him. And so this business of the Holy Spirit and his dwelling in us and his working through us is really critical to the whole business of Christian discipleship. This is what drives it. This is the power of God that has given us everything we need for life and godliness, okay, uh, through the knowledge of him. So um, we have the indwelling spirit. So that's a huge assist. There are some people that without God's help, I'm really going to have a hard time to sacrifice for their best interest. I'm not talking about sappy sentimentality here. I'm not talking even about liking them. I'm talking about reaching out in love for their best, to do the best for them, even at cost to myself. I can't generate sometimes the will to do that, but thankfully, I'm not left to my own devices. I have the Spirit of God at work within me. And he allows me to do some really surprising things, surprising even to myself some days, (laughs) uh, if I let him have his way. It's very interesting that, um, you remember that passage in, is it Thessalonians, where it says, don't quench the Holy Spirit? And a lot of times when you hear that passage preached, it sort of is sort of ripped out of context and it's preached as a single verse. The whole verse is about getting along with one another and loving one another and forgiving one another. And then, kind of at the culmination of all that, he says, So don't quench the Holy Spirit by not doing all this stuff that I just told you to do. Okay? Number two, we have this living relationship with God. We have a calling to bear witness to the world that we have seen and experienced. And so when we show love to one another, we are just kind of doing what we've seen our father do. I gave my grandson a plastic lawnmower, and it made noise. But I knew I was leaving. So he's got this lawnmower that as you push it around the house, it makes noise. A real rip-roaring noise. Um, Anyway, when I gave this to my grandson, he's like, you know, 15 months old, 16 months old. The very first thing he does is he picks up the gas can and fills up the plastic lawnmower. I thought, are you kidding me? 16 months old? What would put it in his head that the first thing you do is you fill the lawnmower with gas? Well, what's the obvious answer? He's seen his dad do it, okay? He's seen it done. And so what he has seen done, he is simply imitating. Folks, when it comes to loving others, we have seen our God, our Father, love in a certain way, has his children, we just imitate him. We just love the way he's loved. He's our example. We have that living relationship with him. We're hopefully a chip off the old block and like father, like son. Number three, this is really interesting, this next section. We have confidence in the face of future accountability, okay? And there's a whole lot. We could spend a whole morning kind of unpacking this because this is sort of an interesting part of this particular uh, passage. But basically, one of the things that we've been called upon to do, right, is to love our neighbors as ourselves. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the Bible says one day uh, Jesus is going to look you in the eye and say, well, what would you do with that? How would you do with that? Okay, how'd you do with that? He's, really, the whole law and the prophets, the whole thing, it's kind of all encapsulated in the great commandment, love God, love others. So how did you do with that, Mick? Well, if I have given my level best to loving others, as God has loved me, if I've extended myself to kind of follow through and obey his commandment, as the Holy Spirit has led me, I can stand in God's presence with freedom of spirit, like with kind of a clear heart, and saying, well... I know I didn't get it all, but I did the best I could with what I thought you put in front of me. That's all, that's my only, that's my only defense. But basically he's saying when we love one another, we don't have to be concerned about being held accountable for that one day because we know we've done our very best to be obedient. God helping us. And so, so John is trying to help us to understand that, you know, punishment is about, oh man, you know, when you know the punishment is coming, all right, you know? Um, when I dinged up my dad's car on the driver's side, and of course he always enters the house on the passenger side, I was able to avoid punishment for a while, but I knew that I knew that I knew that there was a day of reckoning <laughs> approaching because eventually he was gonna walk on the driver's side. And, uh, and I can remember the three hours that evening of absolutely wretchedness living in dread that any moment now he's going to walk in my room and said, what in the world did you do to my car? Well, finally, I couldn't stand it any longer. And I said, Dad, come on out to the driveway. And uh, we got out to the look at the car, Rambler ambassador, and he looked at it, and I looked at it, and I looked at him, and I could see he wasn't (laughs) happy. And he said, well, he says, "Um, what do you think? Have we learned a lesson here? (laughs) I said, oh, yes, Dad, you better believe we have learned a lesson here. But from that point onward, it was dropped. John is trying to help us to understand when we are doing our best to obey the love commandment, we don't have to worry about facing him in that one day saying, well, basically, when you gave me the opportunity, I kind of ignored them all. And so he says, when we love the way God loves, it gives us confidence. We can look ahead, we can look forward to seeing Jesus when he comes. We're not dreading it any longer, we're actually looking forward to it because we are kind of walking in his footsteps, being the people that God has called us to do. Uh, He says we're free from fear, we don't have to live our lives in fear continually. Because instead of living our lives in fear, we've translated all that energy into loving others for Christ's sake. And so the flip side of confidence is fear and so he wants to give us confidence and take fear away. And finally, he says in verse 19 and 20 that we are empowered to love because the kind of love that John is talking about is not natural, it's supernatural. It begins with God, and it's the hallmark of those who know and love God. We can't generate this love all by ourselves, but we can express love when we're in fellowship with God, and his love is transforming us. In fact... We are God's delivery for system in love in our time, in our moment. Christian love is a gift from God, and it's demonstrated by supremely on the cross. And when we live our lives in the shadow of the cross, as we reach out to other people, the love of God is spread abroad through us. So God delivers us from fear, but He doesn't deliver us from responsible action. Okay? Um, somebody says, God is opposed to earning but he's not opposed to acting, okay? He's opposed to anybody thinking they can earn their salvation, but he's not opposed to anybody from acting on the life that is already there within. And so this is the great commandment in shorthand. Love is the defining characteristics of those who truly love Christ. And so let me wrap up with this um, passage from Corinthians, which, by the way, you're going to hear a whole lot more about in the next several months. Paul writes, for the love of God controls us. The NIV uses the word compels us. The compelling word is more compelling, isn't it? You know, control is one thing, compelling, you know, but this is the concept. The love of God compels us because we are concluded this that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all that those who might live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And so the whole trajectory of our life changes. Because he died for us, we want to embrace and model that love for others. And of course, that love of God is what compels us to go into the world and get the true concept of love out there and trafficking and changing people's lives. But we are his delivery system. So, big challenge, this Big deal about love. Wow. You you don't get love, you don't get God. But if you don't have God, it's really hard to get love. Two things go together. Let's pray.